the Word of God. Yeah, if you have a Bible, you want to get it out, um, or a device, wherever you like to look at it. Um, we'll get into that in a minute. If you want to be ready, we'll be in Genesis chapter 1. I'm going to start at the beginning. A very good place to start. <laughs> Some of you caught that reference. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, and we're going to preach the whole Bible, so get comfortable. Good thing it's um, warm in here, right? Um, those of you that don't know, that weren't here last week um, and the week before, our furnace actually for this room died, um, but praise the Lord, it will be replaced on Tuesday. So um, thank you all for your faithful tithes and offerings because that's the money we have in the bank to use and now it will be mostly gone. So pray that the Lord continues to watch over and provide for us um, as we go forward. But yeah, praise the Lord we had the money, uh, we needed it, and uh, it's because of your faithful, faithful giving. Yeah, and oh yeah, and it was in stock. You know that we know of another friend's church whose heating went out. They got to wait six months for that bad boy to come. So, <laughs> praise the Lord. <laughs> we'll have it on Tuesday. So, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Um, good news: the the furnace that heats the classrooms and everything else works, which is what's bleeding into here and why we're not freezing. So. All right. Well, how many does anybody know what today is on the traditional liturgical calendar? Hey, Epiphany, which is the the day where it's remembered and celebrated the three wise men that came to visit Jesus or the Magi, uh, whatever you want to call them. And I feel like that's so fitting. It's a reminder to us um, that Jesus came for all the nations. And that all the nations will come to him. Amen? But I feel like the story um, is compelling for us as we begin 504. 504 stands 504 hours, 21 days that we are consecrating to the Lord starting today. Officially, I always think of it from noon to noon. So at around noon, probably a little before today, we will begin 504 with communion. Um, And then we will break in 21 days, 504 hours with a potluck feast on uh, the 28th at about noon. So 504 hours, we call it 504, so we are intentional about this time. This isn't life is normal. This is a special time to consecrate, as, as Marvin already said, the year to the Lord. But I think of the, the wise men and the commitment of that journey, right? It wasn't like they hopped on a plane and flew to Jerusalem. And so I looked up, how long did it actually take them um, so, and the guess is that considering the roads at the time, their mode of transportation, camels, whatever, was probably four to five months. Like four to five months. They had to lay down everything. They left their homes, their families, their comfort, their careers. I mean, they had one focus was to find the coming king. That's powerful, isn't it? Uh, to find the promise of God that had come to earth. You know, it, it wasn't like it is for us. Like, what did you have to do to come seek the Lord today? Well, you had to rustle yourself out of bed. Maybe you had to get the kids around. You had to drive in a little bit of snow to get here, you know, and uh, drive a few minutes. We're talking four to five months. 
you know, because it was that important to, to them to do this. And um, I think it, it speaks to us because it's still wise today, right, to seek him out, to find him. And he's no less worthy. You don't have to get on a camel for four to five months, <laughs> leave your life behind to find him. He is present to you, but there is a cost to seek him out. And it's wise to do so. And what better time to do so as we begin a new year on Epiphany, remembering the wise men as our example, to to seek him out, to leave behind, as it were, certain comforts, maybe certain entertainments, maybe certain types of food, whatever you choose to do to leave behind for 21 days and bring yourself to him the best you can. Bring to him the first fruits of your life. Amen? Um, so we don't prescribe how you're supposed to do this, but we do strongly, I do strongly encourage you to do something, to make a move like the wise men did that's different than life as normal, to set aside life as normal for at least 21 days because when you do, you will meet with him. I promise you, any time you set aside time for the Lord, when you set aside something to seek the Lord, he will always meet you there. And he will always give you more than you gave. Promise. Um, So I'm going to hand out, we always have um, kind of a possible suggested reading, Bible reading plan. Um, And what, this is a very ambitious Bible reading plan. It always is. Because I don't know how hard you're going, but I took all the social media off my phone today because I spend a lot of time on that phone. And so it's going to be my habit to, instead of every time I'm bored, going to click on this or that, I'm going to my Bible app. I'm going to be reading this. So this this Bible plan is 11 chapters of the New Testament a day, which will get you through the entire New Testament in 21 days, minus the book of Revelation. Not that we have anything against the book of Revelation. We've spent whole 504s on the book of Revelation, okay? So just so you know where we're at. I'm going to hand these out, and then it's also got on the back side, you can um, write your specific focuses, what you want to be seeking God for. Um, I'll see you on this side. You do this side. Can you help me out? Um, Just so you can have those before you and stick this um, in your Bible, on your fridge, uh, on your dashboard, um, wherever is handy for you to be reminded or take a picture keep it in your phone. Um, That's what I would do. Um, And then we also have lots of resources um, on the SOCC website for different Bible reading plans, what it means to fast, different ways you can fast, um, ways to engage in prayer. It's it's all there. And if you're on our email list, we'll be sending that out as well. Um, Make sure you're on the email list because also during 504, I usually do a, um, a couple times a week, just a quick video, a devotional, And I love doing those, and I know some of you really appreciate those as well. I'm excited. I know the Lord's going to meet us in this time. So as we um, jump into his word to launch us into 504, um, would you just pray with me? Father, we come to you today, and we acknowledge that Jesus is present with us. Lord, we ask Holy Spirit Would you give us a spirit of wisdom, a spirit of revelation? Would you open the eyes of our heart and the uh, eyes of our spirit, the ears of our spirit to see and to hear from you, to know you, to walk with you, 
God, that you would meet us beyond our expectation today and in the next 21 days. God, mark us for this year and mark us for what you have for us in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't want to go on and on and on about it, but as I'm praying even, I'm like, I know this 21 days can mark your life because I've heard the stories. It's life-changing when we seek the Lord. All right, we're going to get into the word. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. Um, the title of today's message is uh, the theme of 504, All Yours. And we have to start at the very beginning, a very good place to start. Um, read with me, if you will. If you don't have a device or a Bible, it'll be up here. Genesis chapter 1, starting in verse 1. In the beginning, God. I did it like that on purpose. There's a lot here. If I wrote this, so I was writing the Bible, that would have been the first line with a couple spaces. In the beginning, God. Before anything else was, he was. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. In the beginning, God. Next. And God said. Because these are cataclysmic statements. That out of nothing, there was God, and then God spoke. Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. Stop. Now, we could read the whole account um, of the creation account, and I would actually encourage you to do so. Um, but for today, we're not going to read through all of that. We're going to fast forward through to day six. But before we do, I want you to see where it all began. In the beginning was God, right? And God spoke, and there was. That's the where it all begins. That's the story, and that's our story. Where do we come into the story? Skip to verse 26. Then God said, and I love how it's when God says something, something always happens. Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky, over the livestock and the wild animals, and over the creatures that move along the ground. Verse 27. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Verse 28. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky and every living creature that moves on the ground. We'll stop there. Because this is us. This is us in our original design, in our original purpose. Well, to round it out, God saw all that he had made and it was very good. There was evening, there was morning, the sixth day. On the seventh day, he rested. So to recap, in the beginning was God. God spoke, 
God made all things, and then he made us, mankind, in his image, in his likeness. Now, you have to know, we didn't read it, but nothing else was made in the image and likeness of God. Nothing else was created to be like him, only you and me. It's amazing. We were made by him, for him. Revelation 4 actually says that by him, for him, and for his good pleasure, all things were created. So it was for his good pleasure that we were made. <clears throat> but the, the thing you got to see that's, that's really, really, really important here is the main character, the main actor of all that ever is, was, or will be is God. The beginning and the centerpiece of all that is is him. This is why we call him Father. It's from him are all things. You can ignore him, you can try to run away from him, and people do all the time, but you can't get away from God. He created it all, he's the center of it all, and he is the center of the story, and that's really good news. But we need to hear it. You need to understand you're not the center of the story. The center of the story is not you, it's him. Amen? John, Jesus' beloved friend, picks up the story in his gospel, and I want to read that too. John chapter 1, so, so beautiful. Um, you'll hear the similarities, but you'll hear how he puts Christ at the center. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. And in him, speaking of Jesus, was life. That life was the light of all mankind. That light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Amen? That's really good news too, isn't it? God started the whole story. He created us in his image, and it was good. Thousands of years transpire the fall of mankind. Sin has corrupted the whole planet. And yet, when Jesus comes on the scene, the declaration of the gospel is, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not, or another version would say, cannot overcome it. You know that's why that's good news? Because many times when we see darkness, we're afraid we're going to get overcome. When we see darkness at work in the world, we are fearful because we think the darkness will overtake. It cannot, it will not ever win over the light of Jesus. That's really good news. We were made by him. We were made for him. His life is our light, and no matter how dark the world may become, how dark our own lives may feel at certain times, he's still the same. He's still light in our darkness. He's still the center of our story. We belong to him. And our gift to him, as wise ones, <laughs> is, get to, is to get to say to him, Lord, we are all yours. To bring him our lives. The greatest gift you can bring isn't your gold, frankincense, or myrrh. It's you. So the three 
things I would like to outline as we look at being all his, making him the center of the story is this, that it's his desire, it's his design, and it's our destiny to depend. It's the simple, simple truth. A great way to start the year, a great way to recenter ourselves. So let's talk a little bit about it. What does it mean to say it was his desire? Well, in the beginning was God. God existed. He existed in perfect fellowship with himself. And John's gospel would tell us it was the Trinity in perfect fellowship before there was anything. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We see it even in the the Genesis account. The Spirit was brooding over the water. So God was pre-existent in perfect community. He was not alone, and he did not need anything. You get that, right? God was perfect in his perfection, and in his divine nature, even had fellowship already. But there was an overflow of desire in his heart. To create a container, to create another being reciprocal to himself. One who could relate to him in the way he related to himself in perfect love. And so he created. He created first light, darkness, gave form to the earth and water and animals and vegetation and creatures. And then in the centerpiece of this beautiful tapestry of creation and this garden he created was one like him, one who he could have fellowship with outside of himself. And it was very, very good. It's the overflow of the divine nature of God, God who is love. The very nature of God is it must be given away. It must be shared. It must be reciprocated. That's what love is. Am I right? And so he created, and out of the abundance of his heart, his mouth spoke. Right? That's what the Bible says. Out of the abundance of one's heart, he speaks. And out of the abundance of his desire, he spoke us. The dream in his heart became a reality when he spoke us into being. And it was in his image, in his likeness, to be made like God from the beginning. And it was very good. This was his desire. And his design was that we would have, that we would live in friendship and fellowship with God in the midst of his perfect creation. There was no other creature, no other created thing that had the ability or the privilege of walking and talking with God. It was us. It's always been us. And you know what? God never changed his mind. It was very, very good. There was nothing bad in his plan. It was truly excellent and wise, and it was truly right. But it's always also been our destiny to walk in dependence on that one who made us. What do I mean? We were created with the ability and the privilege to th- and 
to think and act and agree with God. But also, like God, we were equipped with free will. The ability to choose. Otherwise, our reciprocated love wouldn't be real, would it? If we're just a robot prescribed to love with no other options, then is that love ever real? But God equipped us with the ability to choose so that our voluntary return would be a true expression of love to him. There's, so we were designed with a free will, but we were designed to live in his light, to live in his goodness. It's what we were created for. We were never created for darkness. We had the ability to choose. We always will have the ability to choose, but we were not made for it. Let me say something to you that may challenge you. I hope it does. That there's nothing more natural to our truest nature of, as image bearers of God than living in the light of God. There's nothing more natural to us than living in holiness. And there's nothing more natural to us than living in his presence. It's what we're made for. But if you don't believe me, believe the theologians. Uh, let me quote to you from this book written by three authors, Bounds, Ayers, and Friedman. In their book called Holiness, they said this. Would you put that up, Dan? Check this out. This is so profound. To be fully human is to be holy. To be human is to be like God. All sin is a corruption of human nature and the imago dei, which means the image of God, the marring of human personhood. Stick with me. The idea to sin is to be human does not understand what true humanity is. You get that? I'm going to say that again. Because many would like to say it's normal, it's human to sin. They would say the idea to sin is to be human does not understand what true humanity is. We sin not because we are human, but because we are less than human. Sin is the expression of our diminished humanity. Let that truth transform your way of thinking. The Bible tells us to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. You have to see that this is the truth from the Genesis account. He is what we were made for. He is what we were created for. We're not made for sin. Even if we are prone to sin in a fallen world, in our fallen state, we have to come back to the truth that it is not natural for us. It's actually quite unnatural for us because we're the image bearers of God, to sin. Would God sin? Absolutely not. Why? It's against his nature. And you've been given the same nature, particularly if you're a Christian, if you're in Christ. Get your mind right on this one. To sin is not to do what comes naturally. If you believe that, sin is that, you've bought the deception Adam and Eve bought in the garden. 
To sin is to buy deception that what's good and right and natural, but is actually evil and destructive. Sin is evil and it destroys us. Now, if we find in life at times that we are prone to sin, it's because we've believed the lie. Any area in which we struggle to obey God and obey God's way is because we believed a lie. You've disconnected from your original design. You've disconnected from God's desire in some way. And that's true of any sin. And if we can learn to see it that way, it will renew our mind and it will set us free. In this area that I'm struggling and I feel like I have no power, it just feels natural to sin. Why? And we can blame our fallenness, sure. But the the more redemptive is to take the next step and say, what is my wholeness in Jesus? What am I reaching for in an unnatural way? We need to look at that account. Because at our core being, we are made to live in willful, joyful, and this is the destiny to depend. We're made to live in willful, joyful obedience and dependence because we trust him. We trust his ways and we trust his words. Childlike faith in our father. Childlike faith in the one who began the story. Let's read Genesis 3 real quick. And you know this story, but let's look at it. Now the serpent, the devil, was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And he, the devil, said to the woman, did God really say? Now get it. What is he doing? He's questioning what God said. Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat from the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God did say, I love it, she knew the word, she knew what the Lord said, you must not eat from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. That's the word of the Lord, amen? It was true. Did God lie? No. So what does the devil do? Lies. You will not Certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. It was a a shroud of deception he wove over her by taking the truth and weaving it with a lie. You'll be like God. You know what? If she was seen clearly, she should have said, I already am. But he twisted it in the insidious part of the lie that remains to this day that lies to us is God's holding out on you. It's not really as good as he said. You're missing out on something. You can't trust what God says because he's holding out on you. He's making God a liar when, you know what? He's the liar. But so the woman saw I'll quote that, that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, so she took some and ate it. 
She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and they ate, and he ate it. And it was the worst mistake they ever made. But how many times do we do that? Sin comes to us, and it sure does look good. This could be profitable to me. This could be pleasurable to me. Surely God would want me to have that thing. But what did God say? Has to be the test. Has to be the measure. Is that what's right for me? Because the truth will always be the truth. God does not lie. And if he tells us that's sin, then that should mean that is death to you. You eat that, you will die. I said you'll die, you'll die. And you know what happened when they ate the fruit? They died. Not physically, but spiritually, they died. In that moment, death entered the world. There would have been no death ever. But in that moment, they died because God told the truth. And they believed a lie. Thank God for Jesus, who will deliver us from this body of death. We are not without hope, though sin may still be in the world. We have redemption through his son, amen? But we still wrestle, don't we? And this happens to us every time sin comes to us. Every time we choose to sin, we're believing a deception. We're allowing deception to come that says somehow, one way or another, we believe, whether we say it out loud or not, God's holding out on me. I, I actually need this. I actually want this. And I don't care how much you believe you want that. It is not natural to you. It's not what you're made for. It's not what you want because you were made for God. And the scripture declares it. Even Romans 6, our bodies were made not for sin, but for God. We're made for holiness. We thrive in the ways of God. We're made for God. Let's talk about it for a minute. You guys doing all right? When we find ourselves disconnected, because that's what it is. Sin is a disconnection from the desire and the destiny that God has for us. There's usually a reason. There's a lie that's come or a pain that's come. There's some sort of brokenness that has disconnected us from our design. And you, you, it's so relevant even now. God created mankind in his image. In his likeness, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Well, that's an important truth today, isn't it? Because there's a lot of confusion around that. That God creates male and female. That the gender can be and should be static, that it's God-given, it's God-created. And before we go and take that scripture and beat someone over the head with it, we have to ask, well, why is there a disconnect? If someone feels disconnected from their God-given gender, it's because what? They probably believed a lie. Or they, in, it, it, they incurred a wound that made them want to disconnect from that gender. We know where the answer is found. But I say this to give you compassion because take it off of that issue, that hot-button political issue, that hot-button culture issue. What sins have you been wrestling with? Okay? You know what's wrong? You know why you're wrestling? It's because somehow you've disconnected from God's design for you. Whether through deception or a wound, you've believed a lie that's caused you to turn your back on his way and think this way is better. You were in the same boat when you wrestle with sin. 
as the person who's unsure if their God-given gender is theirs. So let's just level the playing field. Because at the end of the day, we all need Jesus to bring us back into alignment with his purpose. At the end of the day, we all need to reconnect with our divine design. Amen? Our divine purpose. And you put it in whatever way you want. Whatever your struggle is, whatever your neighbor's struggle is, look at your plank first, and then you can talk about someone else's specs or planks. Doesn't matter. This is the truth, isn't it? And I totally lost my place in my notes. But this is what happens to us when we choose to sin. We're disconnected. And, and there's always a reason, but Jesus has a solution to the reason. Let, let's spread it around a little bit. Let's say someone's continually, continuously entertaining lustful thoughts and sexual immorality, and they believe the lie. I can't help it. I'm a sexual being. It's how God made me lie. You can help it. You are made for sexual sin. You're made from the Lord. Or when someone finds themselves often engaging in comparison and gossip, backbiting, because after all, you know, don't you know that person? We find a reason to, to justify our sin. Or when we allow bitterness or unforgiveness because don't you know what they did to me? I can't forgive them. We're looking at the fruit that God said, don't eat this, you will die. And we're saying, actually, it looks good to me. I think I'll eat some of that. It's all the same. What if what we really need is not the fruit of that tree in the middle of the garden, but the fruit of another tree, the fruit of the cross? To remember Jesus, to remember what he's done, to remember the power of the gospel more readily. When we eat that fruit, we're strengthened to stand against deception. When we eat that fruit, we're healed of the pain that other people have caused us. When we eat of that fruit, we have grace to forgive. When we eat of that fruit, we are restored. And you know what? It's not just one time. You have to continuously, constantly, consistently eat the fruit of the knowledge of Jesus to bring wholeness in our life, to restore us to our original design, to grow in the knowledge of him and to become like him again. Amen? It's consistently, constantly feeding ourselves on the fruit of his garden by reading the word, which you should do during these 21 days, thinking on him and his truth, encountering his presence in worship personally, corporately, gathering with his people, in edifying conversation, small groups, coffee, over meal, practicing hospitality, the more we eat his good fruits, the more connected we become to our truest design, our purpose, and the less the other fruit will look good to us. Because there's always a deception there. But when you have Christ, there's always a choice. When you're under the weight of sin and unredeemed, you're actually a slave to sin. But when your life is in Christ, when you've given yourself to him, you called Jesus Lord, you're not a slave to sin anymore. That's what the word of God says. You know, we might like to fancy ourselves as these very complex, 
beings who, you know, it's just too simplistic to think that my life can really center just around Jesus. Are you saying that the creator and sustainer of all things is simplistic? Again, the idea of being more enlightened than that is another deception. It's not overly simplistic to give yourself to your truest design of knowing God. It's entering into the most vast expanse that you will never exhaust because that's who God is. <laughs> it does take childlike faith. A.W. Tozer said this, you must begin with God, then you begin to understand everything in its proper context. So good. Let's be clear. We begin with God. There's nothing simplistic about him. He's the most fascinating be being in the universe. But it's to, what it means is to go to the source, to find our place in the right place, in the right way, believing his word, agreeing with his heard and word, and it's what you were made for. I want to center us with this as we close, as we enter into 504 and as we take communion. Hebrews chapter 12. It'll be up here. You don't have to flip there. And I'll read the first verse, although it's just a second there. Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great crowd of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. And why do I read that part? Because there are many things that seek to hinder us. There is sin that comes after us. It does require perseverance to live in the hour we live in, doesn't it? How do we then do it? Fixing our eyes on Jesus. That's how you do it. The pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him, consider him, who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Eat the fruit of fixing your eyes on Jesus as often as you have to because we really are prone to lose heart. We're prone to let our faith become cynicism or religiosity, the things it was never meant to be, because the world around us begins to shroud us and deceive us and lie to us, and God starts looking really small, but we just, if we want to survive, if we want to thrive, if we want to endure the days we're living in and be strong, we fix our eyes on Jesus. It's the fruit we must eat. Does that make sense? Fast, pray, read the word. This is the fruit we must eat to endure. We fix our eyes on Jesus. It's a reboot at the top of the year, as it were. What, what does the tech experts always tell you when you have a problem with your phone or your computer? Turn it off, turn it on. <laughs> That's what we're going to do. We're going to reboot at the top of the year. 
We're going to not fixate on so many things, and that's why it's helpful to remove things. Like I said, I was taking apps off my phone this morning. Especially in the information age, there's so much bombarding us. It's so good and right to put our attention to him, to think of him, get things out of the way, at least for a season. Your news app is constantly throwing you notifications. Turn them off. 21 days, you'll be all right. You'll be okay. And then eat the good fruit of his word, of prayer, of fellowship. Let it heal you, transform you, restore you to your original design in him. We, we depend on our consistent, constant connection to God for our truest contentment. Or as some have said before, you will not find rest until you find your rest in him. And him alone. When we don't find our rest in him, you know what we do? We look to every other source to satisfy. We look for entertainment. We look for another spiritual experience. We look for people to provide what only Jesus can. We sometimes look to substances to fill the void, to make us feel better, to find some sense of rest. They're all a counterfeit. They will not bring you rest. They will not bring you contentment. They are not what you were made for. Jesus is. Jesus will meet us during these days as we give him time and space. I promise. He will meet us. So we're going to close with communion. Um, if my friends who are passing that out, come on up. Pass out those elements. Then we'll end together. Thanks, friends. And I'll just wait while we pass these out. If you're a believer in Jesus, we always have to remind, communion is for you. If you haven't put your full faith and trust in God, do that before you take communion. Or don't take communion. But the Word of God tells us that when we partake of this supernatural feast we call communion, we eat and drink. When we do it by faith, we eat and drink life to ourselves. But we do it in an unworthy way, we eat and drink death to ourselves. So we want to behold Jesus. Thank you. We want to fix our eyes on Jesus as we take this together. Has everybody been served? Thank you. <clears throat> Let's stand together. <coughs> Turn that over and open up the bottom. Get that little wafer out. And let's fix our eyes on him. Remember that it was his body that was broken in our place. His brokenness to bring us wholeness forever. Amen? His body given to restore us to our original divine design. Amen? Jesus, we thank you for your body. We thank you that you are broken and the punishment that was on you brings us peace. It brings us wholeness.
brings us shalom, nothing missing, nothing lacking, nothing broken. And today we lay aside all that we are, the good, the bad, the other, to take up you and what you provided us. And today, again, we receive by faith all that you are. And we say, Jesus, we are all yours. Would you just tell that? Jesus, we are all yours. Go ahead and take that by faith. Thank you, Jesus. Mm-hmm. And open up that cup. His blood was poured out for the remission of our sins to cleanse us completely, continually, forever. Amen. So as we drink this today, if there is sin that you've been wrestling with, I want you to see it cleansed, broken, washed away, the power of it broken. As you drink of the blood of Christ today, I want you to see the power of deception broken over your heart and mind today, that you'll see with new eyes the things before you. You'll see with new eyes the world around you because you'll be washed, you are cleansed, you are healed, you're made whole by the blood of Jesus. By his stripes, we are healed. Go ahead and drink that in faith for his cleansing and healing. Oh, Jesus, we thank you for the blood. It will never lose its power. Thank you for your blood that washes me. Thank you for your blood that cleanses me. Thank you for your blood that makes me all yours. And as we wrap up this moment together and as we enter into this season, would, if you're comfortable, would you just put out your hands before the Lord as an offering? Say, Lord, I give you me. I am all yours. I set aside in this season, even as those wise men did centuries ago, to seek you and to find you. You're worthy of it all. You're worthy of my all. And I want to close by singing the chorus of that song. You're worthy of my all, not you're worthy of it all. Just right here, a cappella. You are worthy of my all. You're worthy of my all. You are worthy of my all. For from you, for from you are all things. And to you are all things. You deserve the glory. One more time. You are worthy of my all. You are worthy of my all. For from you are all things. To you are all things. You deserve the glory. And you deserve all of us. Amen. Amen.